0: This hour is brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10-2 on 670 The Score.
1: Caruso
2: over the midcourt line. Caruso with a pull-up right side three, up rim down, rebound Turner, and this ball game is over. You have got to be kidding me. We can't sugarcoat this at all, folks. This is a punch to the gut. Bulls.
0: Indeed. Well described. But no one's kidding anybody. That's kind of what the Bulls do. They play great and then they stop. And then they go out about their one-on-one games that they play with each other while teammates stand around and watch and then they lose and then they go home. Cody Westerland is here to talk Bulls with us as he does often. He is here in studio and Cody can be read on Twitter at Cody Westerland, score Bulls reporter, editor for 670thescore.com. What's up, man?
1: How's it going, Dan? It's uh, it's rough when the Bulls are breaking Chuck's heart like that.
2: Yeah, yeah right? everyone needs to go to Chuck Swirsky's Twitter account right now, Why? especially if you're a citizen of the city of Chicago and enjoy some of the um, interesting twists and turns that Chicago's mayoral race have taken. Go to Chuck Swirsky's Twitter account right damn now, and you're going to find something enjoyable. Hey, how am I connected to the mayoral race? Where are my dancing shoes? I took my dancing shoes out, and I helped out with CPS.
1: The idea of Chuck having a second job <laughs> on his off days for CPS or the mayor would be hilarious. It just, it's got to suck for to
0: be the other guy named Chuck Swirsky.
2: Right. And it's so, right? like, the concept, like, I really like... Hey, I, you got the wrong gut. <laughs> I really want to go with what Cody's talking about and develop a television show where Chuck is both people. He is the play by cousin. No, no, identical cousins. You'll find- I want <laughs> Chuck to have both jobs. I want him to be the Bulls play-by-play guy. I'd love to guy. stay and call the fourth quarter, but I have to recruit campaign volunteers.
1: No, my question is, what <laughs> would lead to him doing his daily dance or, or the dance after the win? What achievement would that be? We've topped he- another
2: poll. <laughs> I got my dancing shoes on. Attendance Every day. Attendance at CPS schools for the week. Attendance you, was 95% or yes. up today. Uh, and then you get a dance with Chuck Swirsky. All right, no one has any idea what we're talking about because they haven't even read the tweet But if yet. they go read the tweet, they will. There. We've done it. Hi, Cody. Hello. How's it going? Don't read the tweet if you're driving in the car right now. Yes. Right. Just listen Certainly to Certainly, if
1: you're mailing it in at work
2: today, you should go read the tweet. 100%. And Cody is here in studio to talk to us. How did you... I, I, I know I talked to you before the, the game against the Atlanta Hawks. How did you witness the end of the game against the Pacers? Like, what, what was top of mind as you're watching it?
1: I was honestly frustrated by the Bulls' defense in that second half, giving up 70 points. And I know we've talked extensively on these airwaves and, and off the airwaves else, elsewhere. The Bulls obviously got into a little bit too much isolation basketball on the offensive end, and both ends matter and, and match up and feed into each other. But, like, you cannot get – um, roasted off the dribble by T.J. McConnell again and again, which the Bulls' backcourt did. Um, anytime that guy has twenty and ten on you, like that, just is not winning basketball. You're not going to climb over five hundred if those things happen. So to me, that's what's most frustrating, right? Like you understand it if Tyrese Halliburton's out there and he throws up twenty five and ten on you, but he was injured in that game. So the Bulls, it's it's always something, obviously. And that night, I felt like didn't handle the ball pressure well on offense but they still could have dug in with a better effort defensively and won the game despite the collapse in how they handled the pressure from the pacers
0: they were o of 10 from three point range in the second half and i mentioned this last night on the on the organizations Win championships podcast i'm more mad about the 10 than i am about the o should be cuz you can miss shots you can miss shots 10 threes and a
1: half and I mean, we know we've what known we, the Bulls have been doing? the lowest three point volume shooting team in the NBA almost all year. And that gets back to the roster construction, Dan. And it also gets back a little bit to to Zach Levine having that right hand that's banged up a little bit. But He still shot him. How hurt is he? I don't I don't think he's that hurt. I think he's having a little bit more difficult time handling the ball, getting a feel on it. Like it's a very big difference in feeling from uh, shooting a layup and shooting a three pointer. So I understand it, but again, Zach said it himself, and we've gotten into this over the years with all the Bulls injuries, right? Like, how do we judge these guys? And you have some sympathy for them playing through injuries. But again, if you go out there on the court and you say you're ready to play, you have to be graded and judged by how you're playing in many ways. So, I mean, I think it would be smart if he keeps going to the hoop. But it's been weird, right, obviously, because he made the offhand comment joke kind of that he had a torn ligament and he did not have a torn ligament and I don't think that he meant to claim realistically that he had it, but I think he was trying to probably garner some sympathy for his thing. And he exaggerated, you know what I mean, in mm-hmm. a quick comment. And I don't think it was a calculated comment or anything. I think it just happened kind of in a snap judgment in that interview. And then the Bulls clarified, and and he said, you know, whatever, the hands banged up. And it's a little bit, but it's, it's frustrating, right, because – He's got. If he's better, if Zach Levine's better, the guy you signed to a two hundred and fifteen million dollar contract, he's not shooting four or fourteen. Doesn't have six turnovers in the game. I think four in the fourth quarter. The Bulls win the game, right? Like he didn't have to be good for them to win. He had to be average the other night for them to win, and and he wasn't. And that's part of the reason they lost.
2: When you looked at the end game situation for the Bulls, whether we're talking about uh, their choices defensively or their inbound plays and the mishaps and turnovers on inbound plays where's the disconnect well why why are they not better at some of this stuff well
1: it's interesting because the the game against the Hawks the Bulls had a couple uh earlier in the game sideline out of bounds or out of timeouts where they got some some good looks and good buckets but then you mention it in crunch time and I think part of the reason is because what's the play usually in crunch time it's run DeMar off a screen and give DeMar the ball and then the Bulls usually go into like a 3-4, 2-3, Three, four, two, three, whatever you want to call it, a Zach and DeMar often pick and roll. Zach usually doesn't even pick. He usually just kind of chases out of it, but he brings his man to the ball and then pops out behind the three-point line. They've done that, it probably seems like, a half dozen times over the past year and a half um, with Zach and DeMar actions, but the ball is usually just in DeMar's hands, and that first play out of bounds where the Bulls called the timeout, they took away the pass to DeMar, the Pacers did. Alex Caruso popped open under the hoop, Zach didn't see him in time in part because that wasn't where he was looking first because the ball usually goes to DeMar. So I think in that situation was teams are giving DeMar um, obviously more interest, more attention on these inbound plays and they're making it harder and the Bulls just aren't used to it. And that's a sign of sloppiness by the Bulls, right? Like Caruso can't miss the inbound pass to Vooch. Vooch is a big target. He's coming to the ball. You don't have to throw it as high as you did. You know what I mean? In that case. And Again, it's sloppy, and this team is sloppy. Like Zach's sloppy with the ball. Alex Caruso is great on defense. They don't have a point guard. They don't have a too guard.
0: No, they, they, they don't have somebody to quarterback them, to pace them, to say, "Not your turn." It's it's we're going to move the ball over here. We're going to keep doing what we're doing to just give some, to cradle the ball under one hand and give somebody a look and say, "Chill out." It makes Stop me wonder how not much. Turn.
1: I mean, again, we've talked about this before. They got Lonzo, but between Derrick Rose and Lonzo, and Lonzo is not a traditional point guard and has obviously been injured, they didn't really have an answer at point guard whatsoever. That was a big reason. They cycled through like a half dozen of them. Um, Chris Dunn, probably the most high-profile one, did not work out for the Bulls in in that case. But how much would Lowry Markinen's development have been helped with a traditional point guard? Now as we look at it in this moment, how much would Patrick Williams' development help be helped with a traditional point guard on the floor with him for what do you say? I mean, if he's playing 30 minutes a game, even if he be out there with the traditional point guard for half of that, 20 minutes of it, how much would that be helped? How much would that take away his inconsistency? It's hard to say, but there's no doubt it would be very helpful, in my opinion, for that.
2: You have Levine, DeMar, Vooch, three really good players, right? Why don't their styles mesh better overall and why haven't they been able to mesh their styles better? Well,
1: Zach and Demar are two of, I don't know what number in the NBA, but they're certainly two of the better isolation players in the NBA when when they're fully healthy and going. And that doesn't really help Vooch at all, other than stretching the floor. But we've seen Vooch is most comfortable in the flow of the offense when he can flash middle a little bit and kick out, or get that pass in the middle of the lane. Like it seems like he really likes those six, eight foot floaters where he flicks it in. Um he doesn't he doesn't need the ball posted up on the block in a traditional setting. But if he can get it on the move a little bit with the defense out of position, he's very, very comfortable around the rim and can really um use his skill set. And look, Vooch has had a good year, right? Like this is like a career year for him, shooting percentage or best in decade. So he's finishing well. You've seen some of that, but at the same time, like you said, like there's one basketball, and this gets simple, but when some of your guys are in isolation, when they're so ball-dependent to do what they do, right? Like, this, they don't have a Clay Thompson who just spots up and shoots behind the three-point line or comes off screens or whatever. They're not doing that with Zach all the time. Like, the ball needs to be in his hands. That's where he's comfortable. You just don't make the most of your parts, right? Like, you're not elevating yourself to a level above 100%. Um, capacity of whatever you are, or even getting to 100%, right? Like, their strengths overlap in some ways, and then, you know, defensively, they're challenged at times, and the Bulls are, what, 12th, 13th in the NBA in defense. Like, that's a testament to everyone else on the team. It's a testament to Zach and Vooch and DeMar trying on that end for the most part, and their second unit and some of the coaching staff. But it just, to me, it feels like the Bulls go into this offseason, and look, the trade deadline looms in, what, February 9th, so we're coming on about 14 days from now, I think, two weeks from today. What are you going to do with these guys? Are you going to shop any of them at the trade deadline? If you get a really good offer, would you be willing to move them? Or do you change it up in the summer a little bit? Is that a better idea? Because I think if the Bulls keep running this back with these three, they're going to get pretty much the same results. And I think the biggest thing, and this comes back to your question, is you can't have three guys as your top three players who to perform at a high level... So you're a winning basketball team. You're top four or five in your conference. They have to have the fourth and fifth guys in the lineup perfectly slotted in place. There's always going to be injuries. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be trouble in the NBA. You cannot have your top three be dependent on Lonzo Ball has to be out there for us to work, right? This other fifth role player has to be this exact type of guy for us to work. And that's really what they are. It's too dependent on Lonzo. So to me, that comes back. You got to reevaluate how those top three play together and what you want to do in the
0: future. Well, you're broadening the scope here. This was something that, uh, another thing that was getting talked about last night. Look at the Central, the Central Uh Division of the East. The Milwaukee Bucks have Giannis. Yeah. He's not going anywhere. The Cavaliers are arming themselves. Yep, they're set up very well with Mobley and Mitchell and Garland and and role players, a lot of them. The Pacers with Halliburton and And Matherin are going to be a thing. The Pistons could very easily end up with Victor Wembanyama. They
1: could. I would be concerned about the Pistons if they got Victor. I'm I'm not close to being there yet on the Pistons, but but certainly, even,
0: even if they don't. If that mix catches fire with Cunningham and Ivy and Sadiq Bay, and if Duran can understand how big and strong he is, like the the Bulls are in some trouble in their neighborhood here.
1: The balance of the power in the NBA certainly has shifted to the East more this year, and and just in these past couple of years, some some of the reason being Kevin Durant went from the Warriors um, to the Nets, but these these star players, some of these MVP candidates, Jason Tatum has ascended. Obviously, Giannis has always been in the East and and has been a monster these last few years. So you're right. And I mean, as long as the NBA has an 82-game schedule, um, they'll always have stars sitting out sometimes, which is a different issue and a different topic. But you're going to play those teams in your division four times. You're going to get Giannis a lot. You're going to get this Pacers team that's up and coming after you every single time that they seem to play him. So I certainly understand that for the Bulls. And that's why it's hard to see... It's cloudy to me how the Bulls get in the top three or four in the East anytime soon, right? And we get so lost in what is best for this team, championship equity, right? And you can argue whatever you want with every move and how that relates, but it does take luck at the end sometimes or the breaks going your way, people being healthy, one call, one shot in a big game. You need to focus on building a team that can win a first round series, that can be really competitive and be in Game 6 and Game 7 and have a home game in a second-round series. Like You need to get to that point. And beyond the championship talk of what's best for the Bulls, when can they do that, I'm focused on how does this current makeup of this team become anything that's top four in the East, and I'm not really seeing it here anytime soon. Maybe you can argue number 4 in the East next year if everyone was healthy and you brought the same roster back. But to me, it's still really hard to see the way they play.
2: Yeah. Whenever we talk about Patrick Williams, I feel like we're talking about like the Nasdaq. <laughs> like so I want to know like over the last few weeks where where is the Patrick Williams market at right now?
1: Well, I I like what he'd been doing lately. I think he's been more consistent. The rebounding hasn't been there, but for the most part you're feeling him in most games over the last 2 or 3 weeks. Now he did disappear against the Pacers the other night after basically, what, a strong first quarter, a strong first 18 minutes, it felt like. So if we just reconfigure expectations for Patrick Williams, I think I'd give him a thumbs up, right? Like, at some point, you got to get away from the number four overall pick, um, just kind of that moniker and that standard for him because... He's not going, in my opinion, to be a four-time All-Star or anything like that when you're looking at these guys that are drafted number four overall. You want to be All-Stars back-to-back-to-back-to-back. You know, Uh, I don't see that for him. But he certainly has the potential, and if you grade him like a really young player like he is, to be a solid NBA starter, and he's not that on a night-to-night consistent basis because he would have produced and closed and been a bigger player in the fourth quarter for the Bulls the other night against the Pacers, uh, if he had that consistency, doesn't have it. That said, I mean, his three point shooting this year has been very, very heartening and encouraging to me. It's been around 42, 43% for much of the year. He's a good free throw shooter as well. Like, that's a really important sign. Like, good free throw shooting usually means not just that you can make open threes, but it usually means as you mature as a player, you can handle, handle higher volume and keep that percentage up and have a good percentage. So to me, there's still a lot to like there i just starting power forward for the bulls who's a solid player i would just lower the bar of of the big picture expectations on the ceiling and you know if they get him to just be a solid starter eventually you look back at the pick and you're like okay well it, it still worked out but he's not going to be a star from what i've seen in my opinion and i think a big reason for that is just some of the instincts to take over the game i think we would have seen it by now like you see ben matherin for the pacers take over games physically by attacking the rim at times. And he doesn't do it every night on a consistent basis, but you see that ability to take over games physically sometimes with the mentality. Haven't seen enough of that out of Williams to, to think he'll be a star, but I I've been encouraged by some of what he's done here.
2: Cody, you're the best, sir. Appreciate it guys.
0: That's Cody Westerland talking bulls. I have a bulls question based on something specific. That happened in the last game and it gets back to a theme of your discussion Lawrence about what you've noticed about Billy Donovan in his tenure here
2: don't you got some numbers for me too I
0: I do I have some DeMar DeRozan numbers that are going to blow your mind okay okay I'm here for this yeah don't go anywhere you got the score
3: Bernstein and Holmes,
0: Midday 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com and Odyssey Station.
2: Martin Rosen,
1: I love you.
0: So here's what I'm trying to figure out. And just as a reminder, what is your core thematic statement about Billy Donovan as Bulls
2: coach. Billy Donovan is really good at identifying problems, but I've never seen him come up with a solution for those problems.
0: All right, well, so you think, well, what's, what's a concrete example of that? I'm going to just tell you, in, in real time, there are a lot of times we will hear from Billy after a game, and he, and it's really satisfying because I know he saw what I was seeing. And I know that he
2: knows kn- the game.
0: Yeah, and I know it's like, "Okay, yeah, you're right. If things did get bogged down. It guys did stop sharing the ball or people start stop moving their feet defensively or that unit had had a little problem because so and so had four fouls and could, whatever it may be. That after the game and sometimes even before the game, I love listening to him talk. Love it. But what Bothered me specifically. This is the first time I really specifically was thinking this as it was going on. was during the second half of the game in Indiana. When everything that the box score bore out after the fact about stagnation and ball watching and stopping the ball, the the ball was sticking. They weren't making the right basketball play. And I always talk about trading twos for threes. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You're it's, gonna lose. It's a bad economical it's, setup. It's bad bad math. It's bad math. And but we saw it in real time. Here's DeMar against two guys, and occasionally against three guys. Contested eighteen footer, hand in his face, around it in. What a shot by DeRozan. Three point field goal, Benedict Matherin. I mean that's
2: <laughs> I mean, that is basically what happened it's the, in it's, the basics. I mean it's game. the
0: opposite because they're on the road, it'd be like DeMar DeRozan. Mathurin for three. Demar DeRozan for three.
2: It, 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 TJ it, McConnell.
0: Right, you saw it. You saw it happening. So my question is, why not call a timeout and 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 say, Demar, we're not. We don't want to do that right now. Great shot. Don't do it next time. Next time you get doubled, let let's move the ball around. Remember what we were doing in the first half you'll get your opportunities you'll get your spots get your, right now let's get back to where we you were the first half when we were up by 20 remember right. that remember when we were up by 20 we
2: were up 21 points and
0: but it happened and it happened and it happened and maybe he is saying it maybe he is and DeMars like, gotcha coach gotcha and then the next time and it happens again and I don't know what you do and and I know you're dealing with a 33 year old and and a guy by going to the Hall of Fame and and the politics of it are different but man that's when you coach you're the coach you're the coach and I'm on my couch knowing what's going on. I'm like, oh, there we go. They're ball watching. DeMar's doing his thing again. And then the clock in Zach's head, it starts to wind. When is it my turn? When is it my turn? And that's that's what happens. So call a timeout and tell
2: them to stop. Say, hey, DeMar, I love you dearly. Knock it off. And there's going, there's going to be a time and place for you to do you. And we want that. This ain't it.
0: Right. Just look, remember what we were doing before? When the ball's moving side to side, in and out, top to bottom, weak side screens, all that stuff. Everybody's moving. And you know what ha- also happens when we're doing that? We're getting more rebounds mm-hmm. because
2: people aren't stuck, still standing, watching. The players become more functional because Patrick Williams isn't out on an island. It's moving. And in that moment,
0: when it happens again, nice shot, Damar. Next time, don't do that.
4: If we need it late, we'll tell you. Right. To the point, yesterday, I thought we had a great conversation uh, with Layla here talking about you know, what DeMar DeRozan is. The value that he brings to the Bulls is obviously he's a scorer, but he scores in isolation, scores off the dribble, mid-range jumper game. Mm-hmm. Right? So then you have Will Purdue on the post-game show last night. We heard the audio say, well, you're up 16. Now I got to get mine as a player. And to me, I heard... Zach Levine. Like that that's Zach Levine there. So I, then you have that I, dynamic. I didn't. So here, let me let me finish that because I think yeah. we're all correct here in, in how we feel about the way this is operating. You have DeMar scoring on his own, which results in another player, whether it's Zach or DeMar in any case, saying, I need to get mine, which results in Vooch saying, What the hell? And then the other complimentary players <laughs> standing around. <laughs> And then you see them blow late leads, and you see them lose to the Pacers, who had lost we, seven we in a row. Should never have gotten there.
2: I love right. the way that that I, like I can visualize that, like with Vuce being like, "What the, guys? What are we doing? This is, we saw how well this worked before." I feel like because I also think that that uh, that quote from Will is talking about Zach having to get his. I feel like there's two guys playing one on one but they play on the same team, and that's not good basketball. They're playing each other in one-on-one, but there's three other guys on their team and five other guys on the other team. Stop it! it. But it can look so good. That's what's so frustrating is when they stop
0: doing that and they get things in the flow of the offense and they sacrifice – and they, it, it, it can look great. It, and it can. And it did right there, and then it stopped. And call time out. Well, the reason Tell why
4: stop doing that when you when I hear you say Dan Damar is killing them, it makes me. I know Damar is the reason why they're scoring and, and they're competitive in ball games, but because of his style, it hurts the rest of the group.
0: Let me let me give you some numbers here that just I thought were amazing. And if you uh, are a listener to the organizations win championships podcast. You heard it uh, when this episode posted last night because this was sent in uh, after our show yesterday. This is from Jeff Feyrer, who does outstanding work. He is—you uh, should follow him on Twitter at JF FeY. Really good at some of the stat analysis. Here is the percentage of field goal attempts by Demar Derozan from the area from 16 feet out to the three-point line. Mm. So bad shots, long twos. Last year, 28.8% of his field goal attempts were long twos. This year, 33.8%. So there's been a jump in what is considered the least valuable shot in the NBA. An increase of 5% over last year. That's not what I was asking for. His percentage of threes. Last year, 9.3% of his field goal attempts were three-pointers. This year, 7.6. Yeah. So his three-point attempts have decreased when before the season started, we looked at the math and said, just increase it a little.
2: If right? that number were closer to 12 to 13%, I'd be happy. And the reason that, I, that we were talking about this and why I brought it up, obviously... DeMar has been influenced by Kobe Bryant. His game looks similar to Kobe Bryant. And the reason that I brought up the three-point shooting is that at the end of Kobe's career, we saw his attempts from three go up. Now, they were never insane. Like, it's not Steph. But I feel like DeMar would be a more valuable player if he shot four threes a game.
0: You want to hear something amazing? Yes. Buddy Heald has made more threes in his career than Kobe Bryant. Uh, I'm not that amazed by that. That's that's still a very illustrative stat, but I'm and I'm not done here because this is the one that brings it all home. DeMar is shooting forty seven point three percent in those long twos. Okay. Okay, In that area, six, which is defined as the... 47.3? 47.3. That's from that shaded area 16 feet out to inside the three-point line. Okay. 47.3. Now, if someone replaced those, if you replaced those shots with three-point field goals, what percentage would you need to equal the value? I'm guessing 31%. Bang on.
2: 31.5%. That's the math. That's that it's just basic math. What's DeMar's career three point percentage? I want to say is it 29? No,
0: no, 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 it's not that good. I think it's like, I think it's less than that.
2: Let me take a look. Okay. I'll look it up while you're still going through. But like numbers. Javante Green is at 35, right? Patrick Williams
0: at 42. Like 31 isn't that great anymore. So you could have a, you know, a, a, an nba a guy a guy shoot threes to replace the, all that spectacular value and all that hard work and falling down and hands in his face and going to the line and everything that he does and it all looks great but it's it is the 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 old term in comedy
2: of the needless expenditure of energy demar shoots 29% from three point in right. his career right shooting 27% this year okay. i still want him to shoot more threes He's close enough that he should try it. But it's gone down. Two more. He's games. taking fewer. I know, I know. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and, and here's the thing. For me, him making the three-pointers is significant, but the attempt does so much to the geometry of the floor. You know what game you're playing now? Like, if you could just. Shoot a three every time. I, I'm not even saying that, but I'm saying... <laughs>
0: Seriously, play like a,
2: a... If you're going to shoot that 22-footer, just take a step back and watch what it does to the defense if they know that you're going to take that shot. It makes it easier for the ball to move around the perimeter. It gives you more space. It's literally more space for the offense to operate if they think you're at least... Going to attempt a three pointer when you get the ball top of the key and the guy isn't guarding you or the double hasn't come yet. It's, it's,
0: we've got high noon coming up ahead of things getting very football y in here as they should as we move toward NFL. We conference. might want to go back to White Sox stuff, Dan. Championship weekend. Cause there's
2: more White Sox stuff.
4: No, no. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now I got to worry about the broadcast too the one good thing in my life. Now I got to worry about that. I'm it's,
4: sure it'll be fine.
2: I, I, I mean, come on. Like, Dan and I are sitting here and we're, we're commiserating with our sadness. And then I look up and there's a story in the Sun-Times about how the play my play guy isn't signed yet.
1: And that is leadership. I,
2: what the hell? I can't even get my Benetti and Stone on now.
0: You can't have nice things. That's all I say. Just a little bit of nice would be nice, right? It doesn't take much. A little bit of comfort. Do little- you know
2: how much people love those two? you know how much people love Jason Benetti? Jeez, like. T- 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 Make it right. <laughs> yeah, fix
0: it.
4: It's going to be awesome watching the Cubs this year. They're going to be so good.
2: <laughs> Bursting eat at Homes, your Cubs show. <laughs> I've
0: I've got a story coming up that needs to be heard to be believed and it will be told by local news.
2: I have a very interesting story that I can't figure out if it was real or staged. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there out in the street in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right.
4: When? High noon. <laughs>
0: It's that time, and uh, it was this morning I was scrolling on Twitter and somebody sent me one of the versions of the story that I'm going to do on High Noon. I said, hey, this would be good for High Noon. And th- when I replied, I said it was already sent. To- it was the
2: absolute truth is I had it lined up at the very top of my email inbox ready to go. I, I will say, for future reference, I do appreciate when people send High Noon stories to us via Twitter.
0: Oh, all the time. I use them. Yeah, thank you. We, we've got all sorts of volunteer Producers out there and
2: scouts Keep it up At Dan underscore Bernstein At Lawrence W. Holmes If you got a good high noon story that we haven't done Send it our way Alright Dan, I can't figure out If this was a bit If this was a promotional stunt Or if this was real Either way It was kind of awesome Last night Duquesne was playing Loyola. And something our weird. Our Loyola or Loyola Marymount? Uh, our Loyola. Okay. And something very weird happened.
4: Loyola would take over 10 minutes before we get a stoppage. And we've got an official's timeout. And somebody came on the floor on the far side. Looking for an Uber Eats delivery or something there. He's carrying some McDonald's. Oh, this has to be one of the all-time uh, I'm actually not kidding. No, I, no, I this think, is the truth. I think that's what's happening. This guy's in the corner. It looked like he... Maybe, was he going to deliver the, the McDonald's to somebody on the court? Can we rule that out? He's... A, <laughs> I mean... I think that's an Uber Eats sticker. Is that I, what that is? I'm trying to get confirmation. Yeah. Uber Eats, yes. Maybe I'll put my hand up. I'm getting a little hungry. You can bring it over here. So we saw the stoppage that the man was usher. Let's see if we can see this. No, this is going to be the turnover in the. There quarter. he is, right there in the corner. Right no, no, yeah, like, yay, yay. <laughs> so this guy is actually. Who's he delivering it to? The ref. The, the, the ref said later. Give it to me later. Not I mean, now. Philip Alston's done a lot. I didn't think he needed a Big Mac for sustenance in the middle of the game. I, I know, but I'm uh, well. The official out there, Tim, he he distanced him like I didn't say now.
2: Highlight courtesy of ESPN Plus. That's fantastic, Dan. Literally during a play. The referee had to back this guy off of the court. Hey,
0: man, that's good delivering, though. This man is at the three-point line. You tip that man on the court. That, that is a guy doing his job. So he's literally you standing, want your
2: you want your McDonald's here. You go. He's standing right next to the players on the court. Yes, Ray. Like this is like I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay. Let me run through all of the questions that I have. Number one is this a bit.
0: I I think right, so, yes. or a dare, or like a frat
2: prank, or or was it Uber Eats? Like, hey, let's get out and have a, a promotional thing where people are talking about us. I said, all right, what if it's not a bit? My next question becomes: How did the person get into the arena? Can and is it possible that if one doesn't have a ticket to the arena, that you can be like, I have an Uber Eats or DoorDash? Or Grubhub, and I'm gonna drop it off to blah blah blah. Who I'm gonna drop it off to Dan Bernstein, who's doing play by play right now. Can you get into the the venue without having a ticket because you're the Uber Eats dude? That's wild. If you can, I mean, obviously you can, but that's right, insane. he got on the floor. That's- I don't, th- I
0: don't think you can. I don't think the venue, unless you go through like a. a- like the business entrance or something, or like the back, the loading dock. I've been
2: thinking about all the different places that we do games from. Yeah, it, probably the, you knock on the, you buzz the loading dock, right? Right. There's security. The there. only place where I think that this could happen is Wind Trust, because Wintrust Trust has one of those. Like the security office is like behind the loading dock, and that's kind of where you go in if you're media. And I could see someone doing that there. I, I don't know how Duquesne is set up. I just know that I was sitting there going I need I need answers. Well, here's the thing too about this right This is where I lean towards this thing is staged or or put on by Uber Eats or, or just a bit because even if you're not a sports person, dude where's your common sense like you're these guys these big dudes are running on the floor and you just happen to like be standing on the same court. With them while they are obviously participating in a live event. Like, what the hell are you doing, dude? The other thing I need to know, Dan, what was the order? But now I want McDonald's. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. No. But I want to know what the order was.
0: I know we were we were watching some e- ESPN Plus yesterday because uh, the 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 Bison to be really wanted to watch Navy. Yeah, at I think I think
2: this game was right next yeah. to it on the channel. He really
0: wanted to watch Navy at Bucknell. He lasted about ten minutes. Oh, that's too bad. He's <laughs> like you know this.
2: It's bad. Well, get ready for four years of that, <laughs> I young said, Jason. I said, you
0: might make a tournament, but enjoy your Patriot League ball. You know, CJ McCollum ain't walking through that door. Ah. Mike Muscala ain't walking through that door. Bob Cousy's not coming back playing for Holy Cross. so <laughs> David Robinson's not coming playing for Navy. All right, have fun. Uh, so we have a problem. A big problem in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Oh. And here to tell you about it is WCCO.
3: We named it Reggie after the part in Turkey and Freebirds because we thought it was silly that it showed up right after Thanksgiving. Reggie. My cousin started calling her Gladys. Or Gladys. This turkey has literally taken over our life. Is no longer welcome in the neighborhood. (laughs) It's fearless of water and seemingly people too. Rachel Gross says she lives in fear. This turkey attacks me. Every single day, follows me, goes up my stairs and tries to get in my house. When I leave in the car, follows me in my car. The lone wild turkey has drawn blood, pecked at tires, and chased cars. It gets on the back of my husband's truck and follows me. It rode to Chipotle with me one time. Even the cats have to watch their back. I have to carry my broom and my water bottle. And my golf club with me everywhere I go. Emily Alston worries about the kids who live in the mobile home park. I mean, my one-year-old grandbaby just moved in with us. And I'm afraid to even, like, take her outside, you know, especially when the weather gets nice, you know. Like, we can't have people over. We can't have a barbecue. The kids that walk to the bus stop every morning, I have to come out and help them. But now they're smart and they carry sticks. Rachel and Emily say they've tried everything from contacting the wildlife experts at DNR to even calling 911 when this turkey wouldn't let Rachel leave her house for hours. Can you please hurry up, police officers? They've taken down bird feeders like the DNR suggested, but can't say the same for others. They don't want to harm the turkey, just want it to trot somewhere else. It's not safe for anybody, including the turkey. You know, so I would just like it to be relocated to a place where it can live with other turkeys and be happier and it's not going to be a nuisance to people or potentially hurt somebody. She's lonely and I feel bad, but why can't they just relocate this bird, please? In Coon Rapids, Kirsten Mitchell, WCCO 4 News. I have a solution for this. I do too.
2: I got three words for you. Boom, shalak, lock, lock, boom. Winchester SX4. There you and go. And here's the thing. If, 12 days, if you are a,
0: a hunter, a fisher person, or a forager, there are few more satisfying things in the world than consuming what you have successfully harvested. Whether it's a walleye from the bottom of a lake or a partridge out of a pear tree, or mo-
2: in or, a or, a or morel
0: mushrooms that you find in the park. Or Brett Morel. Or, or or fresh ramps in the forest. Bad. It's a great, great feeling.
2: So we have two questions coming out of High Noon today. What was the referee's Uber Eats McDonald's order? And what was the turkey's Chipotle order?
0: Well, and so- here's the thing. The joy, the satisfaction of eating that turkey. When you say you can't have a barbecue in your mobile home park, bring everybody out. And every, and think about that. Think about whoever gets to rip that drumstick off of there and take that first bite.
3: I'm afraid to even, like, take her outside, you know, especially when the weather gets nice, you know. You know, like, we yeah. can't have people over. We can't have a barbecue. Oh,
0: you can have a barbecue.
2: I, I, I feel a like, damn fine one. If you're, the name of your city is Coon Rapids, somebody's got a 12 gauge, <laughs> and they should probably use a 12 gauge. Also, Dan. I am getting a lot of text messages from Uber Eats drivers that are like, yeah, I've actually been on a court delivering stuff to a game and they're getting into spaces that you wouldn't think they're getting into. It's the Jay Zawoski. Maybe it's like a hard hat clipboard reflective vest. Yeah. Uber Eats. People now, just think you h- should be here.
0: However, it does seem that this particular incident was a prank. Okay. That this was like a,
2: a prank or or a promotional.
0: The, uh, it, it's apparently there's an article here on SB Nation where it says a seemingly hilarious. Oh, it's Ricky O'Donnell. Hey, a, a, Ricky, charisma. A, a, a seemingly hilarious viral moment. It said the commentary for the broadcast team, even better. It said, "Well, so many outlets are quick to share the video. It didn't take long for sharp observers to realize it was a setup." It was a YouTube skit. A video production assistant for Loyola Chicago told Ricky O'Donnell, said if you look closely, the delivery driver was wearing a microphone, was being filmed by a bunch of young people at the game before he even walked out of the court. He wasn't kicked out. He calmly took his seat with the food he was carrying. Got it. All right.
2: All right, well, it's a prank. Still, though, what was the order?
0: Matt Bowen is waiting in the wings to give us his thoughts on the X's and O's and the matchups for Sunday. And these are games that you're going to hear. Championship Sunday on the score. Westwood 1, -1, AFC and NFC championships, Niners, Eagles, Bengals, Chiefs. Coverage starts at 1 o'clock. It's free on the Odyssey app. Download the Odyssey app today. Keep it here for Matt Bowen.